Welcome to episode 156 of the GSD Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Jules Instatoya. Running a successful business never comes without its challenges, but it also includes a lot of highs. In this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast, we explore both. We dive into what it looks like when the entrepreneurs are committed to getting done. These are people who are pursuing their dreams, so we dig deep to understand how they are doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Heather Adams, founder of Choice Media and Communications, headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee, grew up in Marietta, Georgia as a self-proclaimed strong-headed female who was always, quote-unquote, ruffling feathers. Those qualities served her very well, though, as she worked her way through multiple organizations and character-developing opportunities, ultimately leading her to start her own media and communications firm, where she has and continues to advocate and promote people she respects who are doing good work. People such as Reverend Billy Graham, President Jimmy Carter, Dave Ramsey, Jen Hatmaker, the Johnny Cash family, Marcus Buckingham, John Maxwell, and Max Lucado, among a list of others. A long list of others, actually. Heather is a connector. She's got a contagious presence. She's driven. She's a wife and mom of two boys plus two guinea pigs and just a genuinely kind person. We loved our time with this powerhouse of a leader and hope you do as well. GSD Entrepreneur listeners, thank you for hitting play on us once again today. We are absolutely thrilled to be in your ears and uh, or in your space of listening today. We think we have a really, really interesting guest. At least we think she's pretty fabulous mm-hmm. on the mic with us today. I'm here. I'm your host, Jules, and I'm with my, as always, lovely co-host, Statoya. Hi, guys. There she is. And our pleasure of a guest today is, her name's Heather Adams. And we met Heather, you always, I always like to have you tell people yeah, how we met. Yeah, so we met Heather at the Southern Sea. Big shout out to the Southern Sea. We met so many great women there. Yeah. Big shout out to uh, Whitney and Cherie for putting that amazing event on. Thank you guys yeah. for having me. Absolutely. It's an honor to be well, with you. Well, it's an honor to be in your presence. We, I knew, and this is, these are the kinds of people we get on this show. When we first met you, and it was somebody who told us we had to meet you. Was it Becca that said? Becca. It was Becca. Oh, she was with, like, you have to Because we were at that cocktail party the yes. first night at yep. the store. Yep. And, and y'all walked over. Oh, that's right. It was Becca. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And she was like, if you don't meet anybody else in this room that's tonight, right. although they're all awesome, wow. you have to go meet that one right there. That is so to you. kind. And you were over oh there buying gosh. purses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big shop. <laughs> yeah. So... So, yeah, so I walked over. I was like, well, I mean, I like Becca. I think she's awesome. I trust her opinion. So I walked over mm-hmm. and introduced myself. And you smile with your whole face. Mm-hmm. Like, you smile Aww, with your eyes. thank you. And so I immediately was like, man, Stace, we need to, we need to talk to this woman. It was like yeah. an instant camaraderie. It was. I felt yeah. like we had such yeah. a good conversation. And then, obviously, we spent more time together throughout that weekend. And it yeah. was great. Yeah, so yeah, I'm for so sure. I'm so glad to be with you all. So uh, when we were coming to Nashville, we were like, all right, let's get, let's get Heather on the podcast. Yeah. So here we are. So Heather, so so excited that you're here. So Heather, you are the founder and owner of Choice Media and Communications. Yes. Yeah? On all of your social handles, which we'll tag in the show notes, but all of those are Choice Publicity, correct? Correct. Correct. Yep. Yes. And from here on out, we'll refer to you as Choice. Yes. Yeah. Choice is super easy. Awesome. Yeah. So I could probably like stumble my way through an introduction, but I think what will be better is me to turn the mic over to you and say, just take us back. So take us back as far as you want to go, kind of where you grew up, what it was like growing up where you grew up, and then what was the path that would lead you to starting this huge media and communications company? So I love to start with my childhood because I had kind of an idyllic childhood Um, I grew up in Marietta, Georgia, which is just north of Atlanta, about Mm -hmm. 22 miles, home of the big chicken. Um, What does that mean? (laughs) There's a Kentucky Fried Chicken that's a landmark because it is a two-story building that is a literal chicken body. And its beak (laughs) opens and closes and its eyes rotate. But it's on the top of a Kentucky Fried Chicken, but it's a huge landmark in our town. Okay. And so, yeah, it's funny. 
But Travis Tritt, Julia Roberts, all those people are from where I grew up. Um, Did you know them? No. No. Okay. He went, Travis Tritt went to my high school, but he's older than me. And, okay. Um, yeah. So. All right. Um, so anyway, so I grew up in Marietta. And um, my parents, who have been married almost 50 years, mm. um, just had this incredibly loving, nurturing, wonderful home. I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me. Um, and, you know, just did anything and everything. I was the consummate overachiever. Mm. I was involved in everything in school. I danced for a really long time, and then I played on the volleyball team in high school, and um, I was president of this and an officer of that and the editor of the yearbook mm. and, you know, all the things. And Now, and, did you get that drive from your parents or were they, were, were they entrepreneurs? Were they, or, no. Or would, were you self-motivated? Um, very self-motivated. I'm an Enneagram One, which is the perfectionist mm. or the reformer, yeah. depending mm-hmm. on what you look at it, and um, have just always been... Um, like constantly seeking, um, you know, the... Um, like the next thing? Like the next thing and yeah. um, always wanted to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got asked recently about like my childhood heroes and that question has stuck with me because um, mine were characters in books. Hmm. Um, Anne of Green Gables and Joe from Little Women and oh Nancy gosh, mine Drew. Too. Nancy and, Drew. Yes. yes. Did and you play so, Joe? Yes. <laughs> of course. Yes. Everybody wants to be Joe, right? <laughs> yes. And I was also Wilbur in Charlotte. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> but so, you know, and I look back and I see the themes, and it was the strong headed, um, successful female character hmm. that was always ruffling feathers. Mm hmm. Um, because she was that. so strong and yep. she was so assertive and she was so, you know, she was just a little too much for her time period, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, Nancy drew too because Nancy was bringing light to darkness because she was solving a crime mm-hmm. and she was trying to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, um, you know, who done it or whatever. But, um, so I, I had this wonderful childhood um, my parents are still married. Um, their home that they had lived in for 41 years that I grew up in burned down last summer. Uh. And so that was like a devastating tragedy for our family because I've never known anything other than that house yeah. and, um, you know, all that. But so I graduate from high school and I go off to the University of Georgia. And um, well, let's, let's go back. If you don't mind. Of course. of all of those things that you did in high school, because you were involved in a ton. Yes. What brought you the most satisfaction? Like, what was like, this is what I'm meant to do? Well, I was the yearbook editor. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. for anybody who has survived um, being the yearbook editor, we all come out with battle wounds and scars. But um, It's a hard job. I loved telling stories. And I, what I loved about that is, like, I just last fall celebrated my 25-year high school reunion. And when we were there, everybody was flipping through the yearbooks. And you're going back to, you know, prom, and you're going back to that football game, and you're going back to our senior sleepover, and, you know, all those things. And if we had not put those yearbooks together, we wouldn't mm-hmm. have those memories to look back, you know, those pictures and images and things yeah. to look back on to reminisce. And so I loved mm. telling those stories. Mm. Um, and my English classes and my English teachers in particular um, were so encouraging about my gift of writing. I loved mm. to write and um, and really felt like I was a good communicator mm. in written form. And so they really brought that you know, passion and, and encourage that in mm. me. My yearbook editor, who was also an English teacher, is really who I look back and think of as my very first mentor. Hmm. Um, because she saw this potential in me before I saw it in myself, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, her name is Jolly Douglas. And I How still... How she not be a great oh person with a first name? With a first Jolly. name, Jolly. Jolly. Yeah. Yes. She's just an incredible human being. And, um, and so... It was that yearbook experience 
um, that when I went off to Georgia, I decided to study journalism. And um, Georgia has one of the top journalism schools in the country. And I thought I would study magazine journalism because that most closely connected to a yearbook, mm-hmm. right? It's layout, it's design, it's writing articles, it's taking photography, taking pictures, but putting that story mm-hmm. together. And so I studied magazine journalism because of that yearbook experience that I had. That is insane. Yeah. Like, they actually have a magazine really journalism? They did degree? then. We don't now have that. It's just a general okay. journalism degree. But back then, it was specifically magazines or sports hmm. or broadcast or right. you know, whatever. But yeah, we did all that. But how crazy that being the editor of a yearbook was that instrumental in your life. Right. Yeah, that's right. huge. Well, and I always had my nose in a book, and this will come full circle when I get to how my career evolved, but um, that like love of storytelling and of reading and um, you know being able to bring those stories to life, um, you know, matched with the leadership of being the editor of the yearbook and a, a leader in that capacity along with the clubs and things that I did. It just marries well, so well, and is so much foreshadowing for my future career. But I didn't know it mm-hmm. at the time. Crazy, you know. Yeah. So I go to Georgia. Have you always planned to go to Georgia? No. Um, my father was a Florida Gator fan, and so I grew up watching the Georgia Florida game, cheering for the University of Florida, which <laughs> now makes me want to throw up. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But I applied to three colleges. I applied to Vanderbilt, I applied to Georgia, and I applied to George Washington. And I got into all three schools. And my parents, I got a really big scholarship to GW. And my parents said, you can go and we we will send you, but you can't take a car and you can't be in a sorority and you can't come home very often because it was going to be so expensive. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to Athens to visit and my mom and I were on campus taking a tour and you start on the north part of campus which are like the old historic buildings all the old trees and beautiful landscape and all that and you stop in the middle of campus which is where this football stadium Mm -hmm. is on Sanford Drive and then you go into the south part of campus which are where all the science and education buildings and all that and we had just taken off this beautiful tour of North Campus, and we got to the middle of the campus where we were standing looking into Sanford Stadium, and I could just see myself on that campus. I could see myself mm-hmm. going to football games and dressed up and, you know, all of that. And so it was standing on Sanford Drive looking into that stadium where I made my decision, like, this is the place for me. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that they had one of the best journalism schools in the country, and that's what I wanted to study. I was thinking about what my life was going to look like as a student and where I could picture, you know, really enjoying myself. And And you could take a car and you could be in a sorority. And I could take a car and be in a sorority. And, um, And there were people from my high school that were going there, but no one I was super close with. So it was like a clean slate, Mm -hmm. you know, which I loved. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I get there in the fall of 1994, and the very first thing I did was go through sorority rush, which changed the trajectory of my life Mm -hmm. because um, I became an AOPI, which is Alpha Omicron Pi. And um, it was really through that experience that I learned what deep, meaningful true and honest girlfriends looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had girlfriends my whole life. But, you know, when you're in college, you make hard choices and bad decisions. And, you know, you change so much in those those um, years. And you're so impressionable. And it was the first time I was away from home. And so the girlfriends that I made there are just, I mean, girlfriends for life. I still take trips with them. We text each other mm. all the time, yeah. you know, and spend a lot of time together. But um, And all sorority sisters? All sorority sisters. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so the Greek community really brought me a lot of fun and crazy experiences. 
Um, I'm very glad that social media did not exist when I was in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> I was going to say, tell us. A, tell because us my career would that. not be what it is now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it yeah. did. But um, so I joined AOPI. Um, I became a journalism student. Um, our college is called Grady College. And that's the um, communications and journalism school there, where I now serve on the board. Hmm. Um, but they, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm a student. I get really involved. I'm on the um, uh, GRT, which are the the students who give tours of campus. And I was on the yearbook there, and um, I was really involved in my sorority, and just had a good time in college. Um, I of course made stupid decisions like everybody else and skipped class more than I probably should have and all of that. That's all part of it. Though, uh, it's isn't it? so much part yeah. of it. And do you do you have reoccurring dreams? Now I've been out of college more years than I care to mention. Um, and um, God, it's been like twenty five years, uh, going on thirty years since I've been out Jeez. of college. So it's like crazy to think that. But anyway, so um, I have this reoccurring dream that I'm in college. And I, and it's like the last week. It's like the last week. I haven't been to class all. I have the exact same dream, Stacey. Where you get there and like the paper is due, or you're taking the final. You've never been to class. Never been. Yes. And you're not prepared, and you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna fail this class. (laughs) I dream that all the time. I also dream, and this is so weird, about going to my locker in high school and not being able to get it open because I can't remember the combination. I have no idea what that means. I probably need to ask my therapist because I'm sure it happened. It has some significance, yeah. but I dream that all the time. I that do, and yeah. the, I do too. Yep. And I, getting... I can't find my class or something. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it's so weird. But mine I'm is always that I'm not prepared. And I'm always. Are you ever? Are you ever naked? <laughs> when you get to class? Yeah, me, oh, me either. No, not, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily in college. Am I naked? Um, no. Have you ever dreamt that you're naked? Yeah. And like walking yeah. to class, and you're like, why do I not have clothes on? But no one else cares. Yeah. No one else cares. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh jeez. Oh. College must have been traumatizing to all of us. <laughs> all of us. There's a lot of good. Well, you had to wear it. a turtleneck all the time in college. Maybe that's why. Right. <laughs> anyway, this is not about me. Um, okay, so let's come back to you, truly. So you're in college. You're having an amazing experience. You're getting tons of. What happens after that? Or well, I don't so want to skip over. So as part of my um, um, degree from Grady, I did an internship, and I walked into. Um, my dean of the journalism program, I walked into his office and he was helping me get my internship for the summer. And I was interviewing with the press secretary for the secretary of state for the whole state of Georgia, because I was going to be back in Atlanta. And I'll never forget my Conrad Fink is his name. And Dr. Fink said, um, our students have value. And you are not going to do an internship that you don't get paid for because you are worth, you know, that investment. And I don't want you to do an internship where you're not. And so he wanted me to go back and negotiate because, you know, I mean, there were so many internships still to this day that are unpaid. But he did not want me to take an unpaid internship. And so I went back and negotiated and they agreed to pay me for the summer, which was like a huge bonus. Because I'm thinking I'm just going to get credit, you know, and the experience. And so um, that summer before my um, senior year, I did an internship for the Secretary of State's press office. And I was like absolutely obsessed in love with everything (laughs) about it. It was the first time that I understood that there was a go-between between the media and whoever the um, media was covering. So in my case, it was the Secretary of State, right? And I was in the press office, and so we were the, the um, filter between the press and the Secretary of State. And this is long before the show Scandal came out. Mm-hmm. But I, I just desired to be Olivia Pope. This is long before mm-hmm. Olivia Pope even existed. But that... 
that scenario where I was putting out fires and I was telling what to say and I was moderating press conferences and I was... You did all that as a junior in college? Well, I learned all of that stuff and I knew that that's the career that I wanted. Mm, Ah, gotcha. And so I was watching the press secretary do that and I was helping prepare him for things. Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of photocopying (laughs) and reading. This was when clippings, there was no scanner and anything online, I was literally reading every newspaper from the state of Georgia every single morning, cutting out anything that oh, pertained wow. yeah. to our Secretary of State, taping it on a white eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, <laughs> and then photocopying it and making sure to white out so that the tape did not leave marks, so that the clippings that I took around to the Lieutenant Governor and the Governor and the Secretary, all these people that. They were clean and looked pristine and all that. But I did that every single morning. Jeez. Was ingesting all of that media so that they were How updated. How much we've evolved. Oh, know. my gosh, right? Yeah. Just yeah. go on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, all that social media. And, I mean, we barely had email at that mm. point, you know. And right. so. Um, that was their social media. Right. It was just, it was crazy how things have changed. But, but it was really the first time that I thought, oh, That's what I want to do. And so I thought going back to college my senior year that I wouldn't pursue um, magazine journalism and go to New York and work for a magazine anymore, that I would work for an elected official and that I would make my way to Hmm. D.C. And that internship was what, you know, I was so impressionable and what just I drank the Kool-Aid. And I thought I'll go to work for, you know, a local somewhere in Georgia, local um, elected official and I'll work my way up until I'm in Washington DC working for on the national level. So I graduate from Georgia and um, when I graduated like a couple of days before I graduated my mom found out that she had a brain tumor. Mm. And so immediately after graduation I was helping my dad take care of her because my younger brother was still in college. And so for a couple of months, I couldn't start a job after graduation because mom had her surgery and she wasn't incapacitated and she's wonderful now. You wouldn't even know if you met her that she had had a brain tumor, Mm -hmm. but she just had a lot of uh, recovery and therapy to do. And my dad was working a job and so he needed help. So I didn't start a job right out of school. I graduated and I started a few months later, so more into the fall Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, spring or summer. And I look back now and I'm so grateful for that time, you know, with my family and also just to take a breath before you start your career for the Mm -hmm. rest of your life. But isn't it crazy though how quickly life can change? I mean you're you're on a trajectory, you know, and you find out your mom has a brain tumor. Okay. Stop change, right? You're just going about your life, and a tornado comes through Nashville, right? And, and you have to pivot. Like have every to totally, everything changes, right? In, in an instant. I mean, that is it's, so it's true. Really crazy. That's so that's, true. And you, yes. and you, it's all in how you handle that too. And I tend to be the person that runs toward the flames. Um, I think hmm. that's why I like crisis communications mm-hmm, is because yeah. I'm good in that setting as opposed to somebody who's freaking out. You know. Yep. Um, Would you ever want to do it on a presidential level? Um, no, because of the quality of life that those people have. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what ultimately happens. So I graduated from Georgia. I get my very first job. I go to work for um, Cobb County Government, which is the county I grew up in in Marietta. And I was in their communications department. And so I had 13 county departments that I was responsible for the water department, the fire department, the elections office, like all these different departments and anything that had to do with communications, I was responsible for handling it. So the insert that came with your water bill in the mail, I laid that out and wrote the copy and designed it. Um, When there was a press conference for the police department or the fire department or sheriff's office, I was responsible for writing the press, um, you know, release and getting the media there and moderating the press conference and preparing the, um, you know, fire chief before, a, you know, before she addressed wow, that's the That's a big press. job. It was a very big job. And of course, I worked for a man 
um, who was the head of the department, but I learned a tremendous amount. And I was writing and I was doing um, layout and design and I, w- I was on the local television. Um, so I, I had my hand in all these different kinds of mm-hmm. um, you know media and communication areas in addition to being on the publicity side mm-hmm. and, and, and being the go-between with media. So, uh, but I got a really arrogant and all the departments loved me. I was kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. I was doing a really good job. Um, all the elected officials loved me. Um, and so my boss left. And when she left, I applied for her job. Now, mind you, I have been out of school all of two minutes, right? <laughs> I've, I've, I haven't even been there that long. Um, but I felt like I had earned the right to apply, you know, to be um, in her position. And our director of communications did not hire me. Hmm. Rightfully so. <laughs> he hired a woman with a lot more experience who came from the outside. And he put her in and she was my new boss. And I was livid. Really? Yes, because I was so insulted. Like, <laughs> all these people. I mean, we had departments, like, calling and requesting for me to be over their communications because I was doing such a good job for other departments. Mm-hmm. And I just let it go to my head. So my 23, 24, whatever your 25-year-old self was like, I'll show you. And so I went in and quit and gave no notice and walked out with everything that day and didn't have a job. <laughs> what do you think was, was going to happen? They're going to beg you back? No, I just thought if if this is how I'm going to be treated, then I'll go find somebody who appreciates me better. I mean, it's just so stupid. I look back and I'm like, I would be so angry if somebody did that in my situation now, like as the owner of a business. But anyway, I, I look back and laugh now at how much you're taught through stupid decisions you make. But so I, um, I quit that job, and when I left in my blaze of glory, <laughs> I um, pretty quick firecracker. I, I got another job very quickly. Wow! And became the chief marketing officer for a nonprofit in Atlanta, which sounds really fancy and elaborate, right? Because it's the chief marketing officer. I was the CMO of this nonprofit, but you know, there's like ten people that work at a nonprofit. <laughs> And, you know, you are everything to everybody. So it, it was it was big in title, and that was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but right after I got to work there, I had been there maybe six or nine months, and 9-11 happened. Mm. And when 9-11 happened, it changed the game, as y'all know, um, for the economy. And we were a nonprofit that was funded in part by the state of Georgia, and the other half was funded by the Woodruff Foundation, which is the family who started Coca-Cola. Okay. Well, a lot of um, people who were donating and be, you know giving so much money to all these organizations started pulling their funding after 9-11. And we lost our funding from, from Woodruff. And so we had like a week to vacate the premises. I mean, it was every, it was retroactive. And so, um, so I lost my job along with, you know, everybody there. And that was really hard. Um, and so I became a substitute teacher Mm. because I needed money Mm -hmm. and I couldn't find another job. And after nine 11, nobody was hiring anyone. Right. You know, nobody was, it was such a scary time. So I substitute taught, um, and then took a full-time position at my high school for um, two years until I could find something else. No way. What was your position? Mm-hmm. So I, I started out substitute teaching, and they really um, were so good to me, and they offered me this media coordinator position. Um, and so I ended up working with the high school kids and helping them with the yearbook and being their student government advisor, which, you know, I had been in student government. So it was fun for me. And I loved working with the high school kids. But the job itself was, like, mind-numbing, not satisfying, Mm -hmm. not using anything I went to school for. So I hated that part. But I loved the interaction with high school students. And I loved being their advisor Mm. and and kind of mentor. 
Um, which again, like you can see God's fingerprints on all of this as you go through my career, um, was a lot of foreshadowing for, you know, kind of where I am now. So I did that for two, um, almost two years. And during that time met my husband, my now husband and got married and moved to Nashville. And here was an opportunity for a clean slate. And so I applied to jobs when I was moving to Nashville. And um, when I got here, I got this job at a book publishing company called Thomas Nelson. Small. Mm. Which at the time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which at the time was the world's largest Christian book publishing yeah. house. It's now owned by HarperCollins. Um, but then it was an independent book publishing company and they hired me as a publicist and I look back and think I have no idea why Pamela hired me because I had been at a high school working for the last two years and had been out of my career but I, she just took a chance on me I guess and that changed literally everything in my career yeah yeah when I got to Nelson so um I got married, I moved, and I started a new job all within like just a couple of weeks of each other. Um, so now, why did you guys move to Nashville? Just well, he's from here. Oh, he is. Okay. Born and raised, has always lived right. here. So, and he had a great, stable job and a beautiful home and all those things. So it just made sense for mm -hmm. me to be the one that moved. Um, and I, I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. And it's definitely Nashville is definitely home now. So I move. And Matt and I get married, and I start this job at Thomas Nelson, and I become the publicist to some of the world's biggest, like, leading voices in the Christian space. Max Lucado, John Maxwell, John Eldridge, mm. you know, um, I mean, you name them, and I worked. All the books that I've read. For them, yeah. yes. And, and we have. Yeah, yeah. and so... Um, I knew nothing about working with national media. I knew a lot about working on the local media level because I had done that. But I didn't bring a single national media contact to the table, nothing. And, and, and Pamela taught me all of that. Um, and, but here was me, this book nerd from growing up, now working at a book publishing company, and my job was to tell people about books mm. and to get these authors in the press, on the Today Show, or in the New York Times, or whatever it was, but so that the end reader knew that this book was out, mm. and you went to buy it, right? Yeah. So my job was to make that press happen so that you went and purchased the book. And I could not love a job more. Like, mm. it was just, I loved it. I worked my fingers to the bone, and I learned so much. And that is really, I worked there for almost 10 years. Mm. And I um, worked my way up till I was running the publicity department myself. Wow. And was just working with, I mean, Marcus Buckingham and Dr. Phil and Robin McGraw. And, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. the biggest of the big authors and leaders and tastemakers. And um, I was working on all different categories of book, books. Um, when I, you know, became over the department, I had kids' books and we had devotionals and we had... Um, you know, adult trade self-help books and cookbooks and um, coffee table, like all these different kinds of books, novels and fiction, all were underneath kind of my purview and leadership. So as a publicist for those books, do you work directly with the author? You do. You, work, you do. Yes. So. so you work with them and their team. So it could be it's just the author or it could be, you know, they have an assistant and a literary agent and a manager and a, you know, CEO of their company, whatever it is, you work with who them and their team, but you work directly with them and you build. And the publicist works with them the longest mm -hmm. um, because you have to start so far in advance. And so... I mean, are you setting up like book signings? Or are you setting yes. up... I mean, you're doing it all. You're doing all of that. You're, um, you're writing press materials to pitch the book mm -hmm. and you're um, going to New York and meeting with all of the media to convince them to have your author on their show or to cover them in their magazine. You're meeting with the author to, to navigate like the best angles um, that are going to be compelling. You know, you're developing that strategy, like all of that. You're putting the puzzle together. So is it pressure or was it? Oh, fast-paced, intense, cutthroat, 
Um, yeah. And you loved it. And I love every minute yeah. of it to this day. Mm-hmm. So what, tell us one author that you just really loved working with. Max Lucado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is an incredible human being. Um, I would to this day jump in front of a bus for him. Like he is just mm-hmm. as good as they come. Um, and working with and for him, um, really changed me, um, and taught me so many things personally. Um, and then Marcus Buckingham, I was Marcus's publicist for several books and Marcus is the creator of Strengths Finder. Mm-hmm. You probably know, mm-hmm. and you know, is a pioneer in the strengths revolution and, um, you know, really is a leader to fortune 100 companies, yeah. you know, and gets paid a lot of money to go and speak everywhere. And he is really who I learned like what my gifts were on this to contribute to this world. So he actually lived that out mm-hmm. too in his mm-hmm. life with you and, and, and others. And working on his books, I just learned so much from him and I spent so much time with him. He and I went on a seven week MBA tour for one of his books where for seven different weeks in a row, we were going out to the biggest MBA programs in the country and he was speaking and we were doing book signings and he was talking about the book and we were doing press and all of that. And so I just, I learned so much from him about myself and, um, and really how to navigate living in my sweet spot professionally so much more than just making it a to-do list of tasks Hmm. that I was responsible for. Hmm. So those two, for sure, when I worked at Nelson, just left a huge impression on me. Um, But so I, I get to where I'm running the department. I'm working with the, you know, this, these elite authors. I have 12 people who report to me and um, I get laid off. I got laid off in 2010, in the fall of 2010. We started our layoffs in 2009. And, you know, over the course of a year, we had probably, I don't know, between 8 and 10 different rounds of layoffs. So it was like a sharpshooter taking somebody out. You'd go in one day and Mm. 75 people would be laid off. And then you'd go in another day and 10 people would be laid off. So you knew it was coming. Well, you didn't know who or the, like like rationale behind it. Um, but because I was the head of a department and there were all these publicists underneath me, I was, I was one, you know, to go. And, um, and I was devastated because I loved that job and I loved the people that I worked with and the authors that I worked for. And I sacrificed everything. My family, like I was working around the clock, late hours. I was traveling all the time. I was working weekends. I was available to my authors all the time. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was a business decision for them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always it, feel that. But it just mm-hmm. was yeah. devastating to me. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I'll, I'll never forget it because I was in New York that week and I was pitching our newest catalog and I had come home and I had landed a cover package for people and a six week reoccurring appearance um, on the Today Show for another author and a major like ABC package. Like I had landed all this media and I got home on a Thursday and on Friday they laid me off and I was like, screw you, mm. you know, because I was so angry. Mm. I thought, well, We'll see how good y'all do without me, hmm. you know? It's great. I mean, stages of grief, right? A hundred percent. And then anger. I was sad yep. and depressed and all this. Yep. And um, my husband said, I don't want you to take your next step out of fear. Mm. Don't step forward thinking, oh, we're not going to be able to pay the mortgage or, oh, we're not going to be able to mm. feed these two boys that we have. And when he said that, it just brought so much pressure off and I could take a big exhale Mm -hmm. and so I get laid off on that Friday and on Sunday our number one competitor CEO called and said Mm. we heard what happened we would really like to fly you to Michigan to meet with us we need a complete overall of our publicity department and we think you're the woman to do that 
Then literally Sunday. Yes. Like laid I'm laid off on Friday and on Sunday she called me. And I was just shocked. Um, I didn't know how she even knew who I was. <laughs> but it was all because during my time at Thomas Nelson, I had established relationships with our competitors, with people who did publicity work at, you know, they were doing the same job I was doing, but they were doing it at another publishing house. And mm. we just kind of had this kind of core um, group of publicists that had a camaraderie, mm. even though we worked at competing, you know, houses. And so anyway, so they flew me to Michigan and they said, uh, and, and, you know, I interviewed with them and interviewed all of their team. And um, I said to them, I can do this job in my sleep. I love this work. I love the authors that you represent that are different than who I've worked with. Um, I would love to do this, but I'm not going to move to Michigan. Mm. I want to stay in Nashville and I don't want to go back in house. And they agreed and let me um, come in and lead and train and build their publicity, um, not just team, but but really their program um, as a consultant. Hmm. And so that's how I started out on my own. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. It was just me. And I was doing the same work I was doing at Thomas Nelson, but now as a consultant, and I was flying back and forth to Michigan from time to time for meetings and, you know, whatnot. Um, but I was helping them with their acquisitions, and I was helping them put strategy together for their books, and I was helping lead and develop the publicity team and grow that team. And um, and it was great work and I loved it and I loved working with them and, um, and it really allowed me to step into that entrepreneurial lane, um, where it wasn't quite as scary, mm -hmm. you know, because I never considered myself an entrepreneur growing up. Mm -hmm. I, I always thought I would be a CEO, but I never thought it would be of my own company. Yeah. Mm. I always thought I would be the president or CEO leading people, but that it would be another, it would be somebody else's company mm -hmm. that I was working for. Um, so I did that for four and a half years and I missed having my own team. Mm -hmm. I missed having people, even though I was working with them and I was a part of their team and they really treated me like an employee, even though I wasn't technically, um, in all the good ways. Yeah. I just miss that day-to-day, -day, like, professional mm -hmm. development, mentorship um, of the people who were coming behind me. It takes you back to the high school mm -hmm. to teacher. Those, yeah. yeah, and yeah. to mm -hmm. not just the teacher that poured into me, but then even mm -hmm. when I was that substitute teacher, those yep. kids that I You're was working that. with. Absolutely. And, um, and all this while, professionally, that I'm growing my career and all of that, I am an advisor to the sorority that I was a member of in college. So I started about a year after I graduated advising the chapter at Georgia. Then I moved to Nashville and I started advising the chapter here at MTSU. So I have been an AOPI advisor for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that for fun as a volunteer in my personal life. But when you look at it, there are just so many things that make sense because that mentorship of college women, of younger women that are coming behind me, is just a passion mm -hmm. point, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I missed all of that by being on my own and being a consultant. And so I decided um, to hang out a shingle in a formal way and not just it be me. And I went into a partnership with a girl that I had gone to college with who was also a publicist who had moved from L.A. to Nashville. And um, we went into business together and started Choice in 2014. So I went to Zondervan and said, I'm going to be starting a company and hiring a staff. We would love to continue to work with you, but I cannot keep running your department and I gave them plenty of notice so that I could help them mm -hmm. get someone in place more permanently. And then they could just hire me from time to time on projects. 
And that's still to this day kind of hmm. what the relationship oh, so, is like. So they were okay with that? Yeah, they were. And they, I think they appreciated that I didn't do it like when I was opening the business. Mm-hmm. I told them in January and we opened the business in June. And so there was plenty of time to like help get mm-hmm. that in good shape um, for, the, for a smooth transition. So Choice launches in June of 2014, and it's me and a business partner, and we um, started out with two employees. Just you and her? No, besides us, two employees. First of all, so how did you come up with the name Choice? Um, We hired this company out of Austin who um, the owner was a really good friend of mine. His name is Rusty Shelton, and he has been a champion of mine for years. And... um, he helped us kind of walk through the building of the name and the logo and the branding and all of that. And so when we were walking through and brainstorming, he kept saying, he kept asking us, what do you want the end client's experience to be? And I said, I just want them to have a different experience than what it's been like for me when I have hired firms and it has been routine, templated, impersonal. You know, there not all firms are like that, but but there were a lot that I was experiencing that with when I was hiring a firm in house, and I wanted that to be different. And so I wanted the quality of work to be exceed your expectations. I wanted um, us to have a hallmark of. Um, having a relationship with our clients and it not being a business transaction. And so we kept coming back to this word choice. We want to be the choice that you make. But then there's also, you know, when you're of a certain stature, you're the choice firm, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how we came up with Mm -hmm. it. But it kept coming back to the quality experience and relationship that you had with when you Mm -hmm. interacted with us. Um, so that's how choice okay. came to be. So it was you and your business partner. It's the two of us. And then we've hired two people mm-hmm. and we started out predominantly in books because both she and I had been book publicists mm-hmm. for a really long time. And that's where our relationships and network came from. And so we didn't want to exclusively be a literary, uh, publicity firm, but we knew that that's how we could kind of get going. And mm-hmm. so that's what we did to begin with. And, um, and so it grew from there. Um, we started expanding outside of authors because of this kind of organic word of mouth. For the first four, well, first three years... We never went looking for business. It was constantly people coming to us. Mm-hmm. and um, Leaving those other big firms to come to you guys? Or not necessarily? Well, not necessarily. In some <clears throat> situations, yes. But in some situations, it was just they had heard that we worked with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Or they were a friend of a friend of this person who had worked with us. And they had a good experience. And so they wanted to talk with us. Um, and then a lot of publishers that we had worked with coming back to us and hiring us to work on projects for them. So that's how it all got started. And for the first couple of years, it stayed that small core group of four. And, um, and in 2017, we dissolved the partnership. Hmm. And it was a very tumultuous end even though that's not how mm. it began. And and that was really hard for me personally. Mm. Um, it's I, sad. That's more the norm than the exception. It is so sad. Yeah, it's really sad. And everyone warned us of that going in, mm-hmm. and we swore that would never be us. Yep. And we had gone to college together, and we had struck up a really deep um, friendship in addition to being business partners. And so the loss for me was more about the loss of the friendship than the business partner. Yeah. Um, and I was just telling our, our client, um, I was with her yesterday, I was just telling her, she was asking me about what I learned through all of that. And I said, I learned that I had the chops from the very beginning to run a business by myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I had that 
I went into partnership thinking I needed somebody in order to be able to grow this great, successful business. Uh, but I learned that I was really meant to do it on my own. Um, but anyway, so the season of life for my business partner changed and she was going through a really hard season and I really wanted to love her well through that. And um, so when the partnership ended, even though it ended in a bad way, um, I, I just, that part for me was the loss of the friendship, not the yeah. loss of the business partner. Mm -hmm. And so I hated that part of it. So that was really hard that year. Um, but moving forward, it was really the best thing for me professionally and personally, and it was the best thing for the business. So what did you do in those hard moments um, to heal? Um, I can tell you exactly what I did because I remember it like it was yesterday. Hmm. I went for long walks with a girl in my neighborhood. Um, I made a lot of home-cooked meals and fed my family around the table and had um, people that we loved gather. I loved to entertain, and so nurturing other people was nurturing me. Mm, um, I spent a lot of time with our life group at church in real um, deep prayer over navigating, and the, the biggest thing for me was therapy. Yeah. I spent a tremendous time, amount of time in therapy um, because it was a, a, an utter loss mm -hmm. and I was grieving like somebody had died, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the business went on and was tremendously successful and all of that, but... So did you buy her out? Yeah, that's, that was going to be my question. Yeah, we, w we went through that okay. dissolvement <clears throat> and, and that's how it ended. Yeah. Um, and so, so we moved forward and, um, and, and then the growth strategy was different. It was, okay, it's now just me. I'm not having to work with somebody else on what do we communicate to our team? What kind of clients do we go after? It was all, what do I think is the right thing for choice moving forward? And I made it an open conversation with the team instead of me being a dictator and deciding. Mm -hmm. And I learned that from Mike Hyatt, who y'all know, mm -hmm. who was the CEO of Thomas Nelson when I was um, an employee there. Man, that's a man who's had an impact. Is oh, that, my gosh. Jeez. His, he is such I mean, an incredible mentor to me, and I learned so much from him when I worked at Thomas Nelson. But when I worked there and he became the um, president and CEO, he had quarterly um um, employee meetings where he showed us the um, books, like the entire company. Like, here's our profitability. Here's where we're down. I mean, we talked about EBITDA. We did everything. We learned mm -hmm. all of that from him. And he wanted to be transparent. He didn't want to hide anything. Yeah. And I, I really respected that. Yeah. And I wanted to lead like that. I didn't want to lead in... Um, in a disguise or a mask. I wanted to lead open and I wanted to invite those women that worked with me to the table so they had skin in the game too. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. our policy changed on how we started looking for clients. We hired someone in to have um, to be business development. And so it was her job to start going after <clears throat> clients we wanted, not just waiting on clients to come to us. Mm -hmm. Um and we um, started looking at where we were most successful and really um, um, analyzing what were we good at, where did we have a lot of wins, what did people keep coming back to us for, you know, what, um, you know, just constantly looking at that, where did we not want to repeat, where were, where were we losing, you know, what challenges were we facing. And so um, having someone solely focused on that so that that was not only my responsibility anymore. It was somebody else's mm. too. But what happened was she would bring a potential client to us and we would say um, um, whether or not to move forward to a proposal with that client. It wasn't just, oh, this client wants to hire us. It, it, was, it was like, well, no, do we want to work with this client? Mm -hmm. Just because yep. somebody wants to come give us money doesn't mean... <laughs> yep. We want to move forward with them. And so 
I, I made a policy that it had to be a unanimous agreement of everyone around the table. That made such an impact mm-hmm. to me when you told me that. Right. Like and that's yeah. like unheard of in our industry. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so every single woman, I have an all-female team, every single woman on our team, when our business development manager, Annie, brings us a, a, an opportunity, we sit down and we go through everything and we vote. And we say, yes, I want to move forward and here's why, or no, I don't, and here's why. And we have a discussion. And if we're all a yes, then we move forward to a proposal. If, we, if even one person is a no, we don't. And but they have to justify their no. They just can't oh, of be, course. It no, can't just be they trivial. Wore, they wore an orange shirt and I can't stand Tennessee. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but we have these really thoughtful conversations. And what that does is our second core value at Choice is that um, enthusiasm drives us. It allows for the enthusiasm and passion to be there for the client mm-hmm. from the acquisition stage rather than you learning to be excited about them right. or going into a partnership not excited about them but then having to try and convince other people to be excited mm-hmm. about them. You know, we talk about it, that in our coaching um, when we're working with clients is is your values and and. It may be cliche or whatever, but your values are so important that Ugh. to drive your business. And people are like, oh, I'll just stick them on the wall. No. That's not the way values work. Values are the driving force behind you, every decision you make. Absolutely. And and people are like, well, I, I just never thought they were important, and I don't know how to do them. We did a workshop at the Southern Sea, and yes. we had 35 women in there, and some of them were like, I just never thought it was that important. It feels right? too fluffy. And, and, yeah, and yeah. we're like... You know what? It has been a catalyst for so much growth in my business, and I'll tell you why. So when we initially created Choice in the six to nine months leading up to us opening our doors, we were building the business, right? And we created a mission and values, um, just my business partner and I. Well, I was looking at those four years in and going, these are not right anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is not what this business has evolved to and not what lights a fire under us. So I took our entire team. This was after I was just the only one in charge now. I was the sole owner. And I took our whole team on a strategic planning retreat. And our our very first day, that was the exercise, was we are going to look at the mission and values of choice and we're going to completely change them. Um And so what we did was we did this really fun exercise and every single woman at the table brought their experience, their opinion, their thoughts, and we landed on a mission and values that are 100% reflective of the whole team, 100% reflective of what lights a fire in our belly and what gets us up in the morning, and are easily things that come out of our mouth already. So it's not like it's on the wall and you have to memorize mm-hmm. it. It's like we're living this out already right. because this is what we value and this is what we're driven towards. So I I 100% believe so in that. So what, are, what that. are your values? So our mission statement is is four simple like little phrases. We see you, we understand you, we guide you, we make you known. Um, and then we have five core values and our core values are, we believe relationships matter. Mm -hmm. We believe enthusiasm drives us. We believe regular communication makes a difference. We believe accountability sustains partnerships and we believe delivering results means going the extra mile. Hmm. So those are our five. And you should always have communication if you're a PR person. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Oh, gosh. So good. I know. What a fun, hard, fun path that you've walked. Oh, yeah. Lots of hard seasons. And there are, um, those are not going to go away. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as you own a business and you manage people, there's going to be hard seasons for sure. Um, But gosh, I am living like the best quality of life, best career I could have never imagined mm. for myself. Mm, yeah. Um and and it's so much fun to lead women who um and develop women that are coming behind you so that their path is a little bit um wider than what you had yeah. to go through. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. 
Believe it or not, yeah. our time is up. I believe Didn't it. it by I talked so much. No, I feel bad. No, no. <laughs> um, you're going to give Stace one number. We always, at okay. the end of our podcast, we do one to 70. Give Stace one number between one and 70, and she'll ask you the question associated with it. All right, 13. Which TV family is most like your own? Oh, okay. Which TV family is most like my own? And this could be growing up family, or this could be your now family. Oh, I was thinking my growing up family, yeah, but now I'm thinking of my own family. Oh, my gosh. Um, so my husband and I have two boys that are 10 and 13. Um, so I have a very rich, like, male-dominated <laughs> house. Um, and I'm Lots the only... Yes. And I love it that way. I love being the boy mom. Do you guys have any animals? We have two <laughs> guinea pigs, Harold and Gerald. Two more boys, two more males. <laughs> two more males, yeah. exactly. Harold and Gerald. And Gerald. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I immediately went to the Cosbys, which now, gosh, so sad, but that was such an amazing show yeah, growing it was up. A good show. Because there was so much laughter and humor and fun, um, and we had really good relationship with our parents. So I, I immediately go to that for my childhood, but for my for Matt and I, I don't know. I'm trying to think <laughs> of, because I can't think of a TV show where there's multiple boys. I'm, I'm hung up on that. That's all right. That's a so, tough question. Th- th- that so is I, a tough let, question. This is another one of my most favorite questions. So you have Harold and Gerald. If you could ask each of them one question, what would it be? And they could talk. Harold and Gerald? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I would ask them. <laughs> I've never, we've never asked a guinea pig anything. A guinea pig. You know, they just essentially sit, eat, and poop, and that's what they do, right? We that's don't even it. know when they sleep because every time we walk by there, they're running around or whatever. <laughs> but one of them, Harold, is not very nice to Gerald. He, like, if you put a carrot, if you put two carrots in there, he takes both carrots and he goes into the Heidi Hut and he takes them for himself. And so we have to, like, sneak so that we can get Gerald's stuff. And I would want to know why he's like that. I think it's funny you said he takes them into the Heidi Hut. That's what it is, this little Heidi Hut. And he also, like, sits on the Heidi Hut like it's his throne and little... Poor little Gerald is left out. Yeah. I don't know. That's so funny. He's definitely the alpha. He is 100% mm-hmm. the alpha. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny. Uh, that's right. I, yeah. just, I have to ask you this. Who has been one of the most impactful? You've had a ton of impactful people in your life. Yeah. Who is the first person that comes to your mind when I ask you who's been one of the most impactful? Probably my mom. Yeah. Yeah. My mother was um, the vice president of a mortgage company when she got pregnant with me. And that was like unheard of in 1976, mm-hmm. you know, for her to be, you know, that high up at a company and just, you know, blazing her. And she gave it all up because she wanted to be a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. And that was her choice. Yeah. Um, and she was so invested in my brother and I, and her life revolved around the two of us. Um, and so when my brother, I was in college and when my brother was graduating, she felt the pangs of an empty nest and she went to work at our high school because she loved working with kids. Mm -hmm. And so she worked at our high school for years until she retired after that. But She, my mom, is the epitome of a steel magnolia. Mm -hmm. She has had cancer. She has had a brain tumor. Um, Her house has burnt to the ground. She has, you know, she has weathered a lot with my brother and I in hard seasons. and, um, And she still is just like the biggest fighter. And I think that's where my tenacity comes from, Mm -hmm. is from her and from... Um, just how like much she cares about taking care of other people. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. what a tribute to you. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I love Thank it. Thank you. For All right. That. I'm still hung up on the family question. Like, <laughs> I need family ties. Remember that yep, show with family Michael ties. P. Keaton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alex P. Keaton. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. Michael Fox. It was Alex, Alex P. Keaton. P. Keaton. Yeah. Sorry, I got yeah. those confused. <laughs> that family, too, reminds me a lot of my own growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Mallory. 
Yeah, Mallory and um, <laughs> and I was definitely Alex. Like I was definitely like the president and running for things and you know grades intact and always had you know like everything in order. And my brother was always like chaos and you know. Um, but beloved, like he was the president of the student body, you know, Cla- he, like class clown, like, no, he wasn't a class clown. He was like, he was a cheerleader and the president of the student body. He so was everybody just loved in him. the show yeah. choir. He was like uber talented. He was in all the school musicals and all that, but everybody loved him. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody loved him. Yeah. Um, so we were just very different. And he could have given a crap about school, whereas school was like everything for me, you know, <laughs> So that crazy, we so, were so different, different from the same parents. So different. Yeah. yeah. All right, we got to wrap this up. Heather, thank you so much. Thank you what all. a treasure to spend mm-hmm. time with you. Thank you for your time. I know you're super busy and have kiddos and all that stuff. So thank you for your time. Listeners, as always, thank you for hitting play on us. You have a lot of choices out there in podcast land, but you chose us today. So thanks for that. And uh, we promise we'll be back with you next week for another incredible episode. Go make it an awesome week. Oh, 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 oh,